Hello, and welcome back to Second Opinion. I'm Srinivas Anakindi with Penn Life Sciences. Today I'll be sitting down with Nico Bakaridis from CubeRM, a startup that is taking a critical look at what tenders mean in healthcare, and potentially have cracked the formula. Along with my colleague Monique Brianna, we sat down to have a conversation about what tenders are, what CubeRM does that is so different, and where we think the industry is going to go from here. As always, please set out to continue the discussion with us by reaching out to us on email, LinkedIn, or whatever social media you find us on. And then, without further ado, let's jump into the conversation. a range of stuff we want to talk about around tenders, healthcare sustainability, volume for value. But to begin with, Nico, it'd be great to hear from yourself, just um, a bit of your background and how you've come to this space. Thanks a lot. Looking forward to the discussion with both of you. Hi, I'm Nico. I'm the Chief Commercial Officer of CubeRM. CubeRM is the leading tender software and AI and data company. So we are using latest technology and AI to improve and to streamline the tender process. Um, the focus is fully on pharma and medtech, so we're only or almost only in the in the healthcare space. Um, I have a background in tendering in pharma. I've, I was with Pfizer for over 13 years. I had the pleasure to first building up and then leading the global tender team at Pfizer for many years. So that's my my background and my experience on the topic. Amazing. And for those of our, I think tendering is one of those topics in this industry where people hear about it, they're familiar with it in a very loose way, myself included, actually. What, when you boil down to it, what is tendering, put simply? Mm -hmm. So put simply, it's a, it's a procurement methodology, a procurement process. It's mainly used by big institutional buyers. So in healthcare, we talk about governments, health regions, big hospital groups, insurance companies. And these big buyers, they basically they publish an invitation to bid for a medicine or a device. They define the volumes, the award criteria, the timelines, the specs. And then as a company, you have to hand in your offer without really knowing uh, what the competitors are offering. That's the, the tricky part around it. Um, and then, of course, there are many different different ways of tenders, right? There are countries where you have very few tenders, but very big ones, national tenders like in the Nordics. On the opposite end, you have uh, other countries where you have thousands of smaller tenders, like in Poland or in Brazil. Um, you have countries where the, the winner takes it all. The, the ten, uh, you have other tenders where it's split and you have multiple winners. So it comes in very different forms and shapes. Some are just about price, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that. Others are much more balanced with other award criteria. So there's multiple different tender types. And of course, they require different strategies and also different capabilities to, to manage them. I hope this was a, a clear, uh, not a short one, but a clear explanation of what it is. Very simple. And we're hearing about these more and more, right? Because I think that's the big thing that I've heard you mention, that this is increasingly relevant to medtech and pharma. That's exactly uh, the case. So it's it's a very big channel already, and it's growing year over year. So basically, the estimations from us, but also from other players, is that in pharma, it's around 30% of the global revenue is coming through tenders. In medtech, it's even higher. It's around 70%. And of course, the more your portfolio goes towards loss of exclusivity, towards off-patent, the more important this becomes. 
and the other thing probably worth mentioning here it's it's really there in all the regions across the globe maybe the us you don't really find it a lot it's more contracting there with the big gpos but then north america still canada is heavily tendered so it's in all the regions it's growing uh, and it's definitely here to stay yeah and then zooming out i guess it's a um what are we looking at in terms of the macro situation with healthcare, with pharma that's driving this increased presence, that's driving this need for tenders? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. I mean, in, in the end, what we see is there is uh, the, the growing healthcare uh, cost. I mean, we've seen this. Uh, the, the, the demographics will only uh, will only uh, make that stronger. And then, of course, it's also. I mean, we're talking about taxpayers' money here, right? So. Uh, you need to ensure this is managed in a transparent and a fair way. So this is why we see we see more and more tenders. Yes, definitely. And are there any sort of external factors that make ten- tenders like the need for tenders basically in healthcare, such as having an aging population or the increase in chronic diseases um, that make it more or beneficial to kind of curb these costs of these drugs? Uh, I think definitely if tenders are put together in the correct way, then this is definitely a way to curb this increasing healthcare cost without having uh, also the negative effects, right? I mean, if a tender is just on price, um, this might also have negative effects, and we've seen that in various ways. But if you put the tender together in the right way, and we can talk about that, what would the perfect tender look like, right? But if you do it in the right way, I think it's a very fair, transparent and efficient procurement mechanism, and it can help with, with many problems, yes. I think it's especially interesting. I, I, you see so much of this mindset and mentality of a competitive approach to market access, and I've seen people on both sides of the aisle from Pharma speaking about the um, the threat and kind of the aggressive strategies used by healthcare, quote unquote, um, and then from healthcare speaking about having to manage pharma um, approaches. And I think it's really interesting that this starts to paint almost a cooperative picture or um, cooperation, as some people call it, and one where it's not working against each other, but rather working together to really meet. I think ultimately, aggressive competition is only ever going to be a um, bad for the patient whereas if you can work together in this way to try and drive up the total amount of value in the system and that's what this is about this is value in the system then we start to see something quite uh, fortuitous um, and quite um, beneficial for patients exactly exactly yes so you've teased us now with the mention of the perfect tender tell me all about it what does that look like <laughs> um yes i mean the what would the perfect tender uh, look like so i think first of all uh, it, it needs to be announced early on to allow for preparation and to, to allow to even build a value proposition, right? In Europe, the average time from when a tender is published to when you have to submit is around 40 days, which is quite short. And there are some countries where we even talk just a couple of days, which is almost not manageable, not even talking about being sustainable, but to submit a tender in a couple of days is almost not manageable. So a good tender, I would say, is announced long enough in advance so you can prepare the value proposition. The other thing, obviously, is on the award criteria. It should not be just price. It should be what we call meat tenders. Meat is a terminology in tenders. It's for most economically advantageous 
tender. That's what you mentioned before, right? It should benefit. It should be advantageous. So it means price is of course there, but there are other factors like supply reliability, quality, safety, environmental considerations and all that. So it should be balanced. That's probably the second point. Uh, of course, scientific and medical value should be appreciated, right? I mean, after all, we speak, we still speak about medicines. And I mean, in some countries, a pack, a pack of medicine became cheaper than a pack of chewing gum. So then, then something doesn't seem to be right anymore. So there needs to be a value uh, there. And then another big topic is supply, right? So um, a lot of shortages driven by tenders. And one way to, to curb that maybe a little bit is to have multiple winners. Because if you have multiple winners, the supply risk, you put it on multiple companies. You basically diversify the supply risk um, and you also incentivize multiple companies to still produce that product. So multiple winners is one. And then the last one I wanted to mention is um, a lot of tenders are kind of closed. You have to submit a template and like put in a form. So it's very closed. That, that means there's no room for a value proposition, no room for innovation, no room for feedback. Uh, and of course, that 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 cannot be a sustainable way to, to do it. So this would be my definition of a, of a good tender. Yes. That's really interesting. And I think especially one piece there that really resonated or I found interesting is the idea of multiple winners. And especially in when we're speaking about generics or biosimilars, the you're not talking about different medicines. There's the complexity is almost taken out of the situation. With the idea of changing value propositions, so something we do a lot in our team at um, in within Penn, within our life sciences work, is patient supports and um, services that go in addition to the product to add value. So your remit as a pharma company isn't just the treatment you provide, it's how else you can support the patient of a particular disease or condition. Um, if value propositions are more open, if you have that kind of open negotiation, it becomes more important for companies to show the value they can provide therein and be remunerated accordingly. Um, it's been interesting to see how, what do you see in that sort of world? Like what are the potentials of that sort of open um, battling for increased value? Yes, yes. I mean, for me, the, the award criteria are driving that, right? This is incentivizing basically what pharma companies are offering on the other end, right? If you're just incentivized on price, this is where the focus will be. If you're incentivized on patient support programs, this is where the investments will go and the resources will go. So I see a very direct link of, of what you're saying, right? I mean, the award criteria drive what the pharma companies then will offer and where they will invest. So that's why these balanced award criteria are so important. And then in terms of when we start to talk about award criteria and when we start to talk about value and especially measurement of value, does it start to, who determines, like does this come solely from the um, organization developing the tender? Or they, do these tend to be conversations where there is a bit of um, leeway or discussion? What does that look like at present? Yes, uh, I mean, normally it's the, the, the tender buyer, the tender authority that is putting together the award criteria. Uh, hopefully the, the people who do this, it's a committee that consists of pharmacists, uh, commercial people, but also, of course, uh, medical, the, the medical view and the scientific view is there. So also the, the, the committee 
should be balanced. It's like in a hospital formulary, right, where there's a group of people who should set those rules. Um, um, there is, of course, a way or well, there should be a way where also pharma companies or med tech companies could give an input to these award criteria. Uh, we, this is called tender shaping a little bit. Uh, some pharma companies are using it, uh, this terminology, others are not. But this is basically uh, if you have a value proposition that is strong, that it's making sure that this is also reflected uh, in the upcoming tender, right? Yes. So that there should be a way to also to also give input into that. Some countries are more open to that, others are less open uh, to that. Excellent. Um, we're getting to the point now where we've talked all about the idea of these tenders, we've talked about the criteria involved, we've talked a lot about what this looks like at present. Now, I think the really interesting thing we're here to discuss though is, I'd love to hear more about QRM. So what from where we are now to where we want to be, Tell us about your business and tell us about how, what you're working towards or what you're working on that helps start to address some of these challenges. Yes. Okay. Yes. Happy to. So the, the idea of QRM is basically all about how can we use latest technology? How can we use AI to improve the tender process uh, end to end? And there's many areas in this process that really technology uh, can help. Um, so basically, before we go into these areas, maybe there's three distinct offerings or services that we have. One we call Tender Central, which is like an end-to-end -end tender management tool. So it's all about finding all the tenders that are out there, uh, prioritizing them, uh, managing approvals, supply planning, finding the right price. So the whole end-to-end -end spectrum. The second one is Tender BI, which is all about data and insights and visualization. Because getting good data on tenders is very difficult because it's in every country, it's on a different website, it's hidden in documents, it's chaotic, it's not structured. So to really bring things together and make sense of it is uh, is tricky, right? And what we have is that we have an AI that goes to all these websites and every day machine reads thousands of documents, thousands of pages to find these relevant data points and bring it to our customers. And then the third one is, is all about pricing. I mean, in, in every tender that we see, uh, pricing is part of the game, right? There is not a single tender we've come across where pricing is not, is not a relevant criteria. So to find the right price uh, is definitely is important for all of our customers. And we use AI and historical data to, to give predictions of where the price could be. So this is the, the range of the offerings, uh, so to speak, that we have. And it, it sounds like that the Cuba RM offering kind of supports the um, person or whoever you're working with through the different stages or processes involved in the tendering from like discovery all the way to governance. Yes. Yes, that's exactly the case. So it all starts, as you say correctly, with discovery. This sounds pretty straightforward, right? And in a country where you have three tenders per year, it is probably. But if you're in a country with thousands of tenders and you have a big portfolio, it's quite easy to miss a tender. So we use the AI to find uh, all the tenders. But then also, as I said before, normally the, the submission timelines are quite short. So what we also help is anticipating tenders that are not even published yet. So to give our customers more time to prepare. And you can do that by going into the historical data 
and to see the patterns because tangents are often very cyclic. I mean, they have a start date, a duration, so you can figure out the end date. So you can predict a tender that has not even been published yet. And then uh, you can do things that are more strategic, like shaping a tender, as we discussed before, or maybe uh, um, reduce cost of goods. All these things take much more than, than 40 days. So you can only do it if you anticipate tenders. So yes, it's exactly as you say, we, we try to look at all the process steps and we, we see how can we use latest technology to, to make things easier and more efficient. And then in terms of the companies you're working with, what are the sort of, I guess, the principal areas where obviously you've got your clear set propositions, but presumably companies are coming to start to look for their support because they're struggling in some areas the, um, some or the other with tenders, right? Um, what are the main challenges that you tend to come across or what are the main barriers that you find people getting caught up on? We actually did a survey on that uh, last year. We asked exactly this. We asked around 30 pharma companies, what are the biggest challenges that you are coming across? Um, it was quite a good mix of, of companies, different sizes, biosimilar vaccines, innovative pharma. So I think it gives quite a good overview of, as, a, as an industry, what are the biggest challenges. Um, and there are three, three main challenges. One is uh, finding all the relevant tenders that are out there, the one that I've mentioned, right? Um, then the, 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 the tender insights, because the data is chaotic, so often the quality is not good. Um, to get to this data, it takes a lot of manual effort, so the the intelligence is lacking. And then all about pricing. Also with pricing, one of the big challenges is, I mean, list prices are quite easy to get, but in a tender setting, list prices don't don't give you anything, right? Because between the list price and the net price, it could be 70-80% of discounts. So the net prices are much more difficult to get. So that's what everybody wants to to get. But there is, it's difficult to find list uh, net prices. So these are the the main areas. It's first of all understanding what are all the tenders that are out there. So what's my addressable market, so to speak? Then to have the data to make the right decisions, specifically when it comes to net prices. Those were the three main buckets uh, that we've come across. Yes. That's interesting. And in that survey, was there anything else besides those buckets, anything unexpected that you found or that you heard from uh, companies? Um, what, what we found interesting as well is we asked them to do a bit of a self-assessment of how good they are when it comes to tender capabilities. Yeah. Um, and this was quite interesting because the spread was quite wide. Um, so we, we basically, we created three areas. One we called emergency which is basically if you're constantly running behind tender opportunities, right? And uh, you have to do last minute price approvals, last minute supply checks. So everything feels like an emergency. Then the second level would be coordinated, we called it, where you start to coordinate across functions, across countries, et cetera. And you start to have a planning horizon of maybe three to six months. Yeah. Whereas an emergency, it's a couple of weeks, right? And then we have the strategic level where we say, okay, you are really uh, planning for tenders nine to 12 months in advance. As a company, you understand what are my biggest opportunities, what are my biggest risks, and you have a plan to address those. This would be the strategic level. So interestingly, uh, around 10% of companies rated themselves in the emergency level. The big part around 80% was in the coordinated 
So okay. that means, and this is also what we hear from the market, most companies have somehow started their tender excellence journey. They started to put resources in place, processes in place, but only a handful of companies really rated themselves as being strategic. And how do you put yourself in the strategic tranche? You mentioned the 40 days. Like, so if these tenders are coming with a time frame of about two months, how are these companies managing nine to 12 months of advanced uh, uh, windows? So they really figured out the tender cycles in all of the markets. So they understand, okay, the, the big next national tender in Norway will be then the big next right. tender in Italy will be then. So they they have a lot of experience and they see these tenders before they're published. They don't see all the details, right? They might not be able to say it's going to be on that exact day, but that's not necessary. It's good enough to understand in this month there will be a tender for those 10 products. That's good enough to prepare, right? So that's one one part of it. And then the other thing is you need to align all the departments around it. So we always say tendering is, is a team sport. It's impossible to win a big tender by yourself. You need to be very close to the supply team. Because the worst thing that can happen is you win a tender and then you cannot supply it, right? Because then you're not only losing the business, you're paying a penalty, your reputation goes down the drain. Worst case, patients are suffering because they don't get the medicine that they should get. So you need supply very close. You need pricing close. You need medical and marketing close for your value proposition. So uh it's one thing is to plan ahead. The other thing is to have this team alignment and working on it uh, jointly. I think those two elements together make you a strategic tender manager. Are those um, strategic teams still, do they still have services that they, or do they still benefit from the propositions that you offer? I'm curious. Um, I mean, what we help is, is first, in, in these cases, we help to anticipate those tenders, right? Um, the other thing is also um, to basically create a global overview. So th there could be things, I mean, if you're bidding too low in one country and the prices are published, then all the other countries are suffering, right? So you need a system that gives you visibility uh, across countries and also across, across departments. But then also with our data, uh, we help our clients to, to create the right value proposition. Because if we know, for example, for biosimilars in Spain, this is what the customers are looking for, then the marketing departments can actually do uh, the right thing. So it's like a continuous market research that we provide for our customers. And the interesting thing is it's really based on data. Uh, it's not just based on a handful of interviews. It's, really, it's hard data that is the basis for this. Yeah, I was going to ask... Um... Of those companies that responded as strategic, are they currently using any AI or technology in their tendering process at the moment? Yes, I would say so. They're using maybe not everything, but but the ones that 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 are in strategic, they're using AI specifically to find tenders. Um, I mean, this is this is the most obvious part, right? I mean, otherwise, if you have people going and reading through all these documents, this is an obvious one to do. Uh, to use AI uh, in order to do that. Yes, I would say the strategic ones, they're very uh, tech savvy and they're using a lot of latest technology. Yes, it, it's interesting because still, I think most more than half of the companies are using Excel. Uh, we were always saying our biggest competitor is Excel, right? Uh, 
So, uh, <laughs> yes, because countries are very used to it. Companies are very used to it. That's so funny. I, I really like this idea of um, continuous market research. I think it's something that um, this is not that hot a take, but and I think plenty of people discuss it in the industry, but still it's not fully sunk in, which is the idea that I find market research as a phenomenon so fascinating with how much people still rely on it in its conventional form and still lean on it as a traditional tool when it just it fails it fails to succeed in two dimensions for me if you look upwards to the advancement of technology it fails to capture the um the scope and the intelligence of ai driven market research for example the approaches that you're taking and then if you look at the more human element it fails to capture the empathy and the emotion of actually understanding experience which is some of the stuff that we look at when we work in patient services in terms of healthcare experience and experience management so and yet it still is this huge area where millions of are spent on especially coming up to a product launch or product development and the amount of times that we try and point out to companies that their money would be better spent instead of putting it to market research into more human-centric approaches into actual service development and also to your side then and I've, i'm now seeing the symmetry of going in both directions um of ai driven or market uh, machine learning driven um market research i just think there's so much scope for improvement in terms of how we understand the world around us and the market around us i really agree to that um I also think, I mean, the the tools to do this continuous market research and tendering, uh, the technology is really very new. I think probably a year ago, it would not have been uh, possible, right? So, I mean, for example, to to give you an insight of of what we do and how we train some of our AI models. So, again, when we come to award criteria, thousands of award criteria are published every day. Right. And you need to somehow just identify them. That's the first step. But then the second one is to sort them to basically say, okay, this one is this quality criteria or is it safety or is it terms and conditions? And if a human being had to do this, it would be a a team of hundreds, right? It would not be sustainable. But we can train the AI to understand. Okay, if it says uh, safety packaging, then it goes into this criteria. If it says uh, environmental consideration, then it goes into this. So by continuously training the AI, and the, the good thing is it really gets smarter over time and, it, and, and it, it gets better, you can do this on a daily basis. So you get really a daily market research. It's probably not needed to do it on a daily basis, but technically it's, it's possible. On a slight subject change now, but linking back to something you mentioned earlier around who's involved in this, I think... So in terms of the people that we work with and kind of the areas of the business of the value chain that we work in, there's everything from commercial to medical, a bit of R&D, some people within market access. And there will be people listening who kind of assume that when they hear the word tender, when they hear people talking about procurement, their minds say, okay, well, that sits with purchasing and procurement. That's their responsibility. Um, We've got um, other parts of the value chain are our responsibility to look after. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on why, because I think intuitively that feels wrong. Like this feel, what you've described feels like something that should touch the entire business, especially when you're talking about value proposition. Um, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yes, yes. I mean, for me, say uh, tender is, is a channel, right? It's like 
hospital or pharmacy or there's also a tender channel and and to optimally manage a channel uh, you need different capabilities you need different uh, departments i often hear discussions in companies where should the tender tender team sit right uh, for me it's a okay it's a good discussion but it's it's not the primary one i mean if you ask me it should either sit in commercial or in market access but then it's like for me it's like we always said managing a tender is like managing a bit a big project right you you have to uh, define your objectives what you want to achieve in this tender you have to define the milestones you have to allocate roles and responsibilities so it's like a project and in this project as you correctly say there need to be cross-functional teams medical and marketing for the value proposition you need uh, pricing to, to to for the price you need supply and demand um, you need legal in some cases to approve the final offer so you really need a cross-functional team uh, to do that yes yeah yeah absolutely that makes sense and I think are there do you feel like then in terms of those you've worked with, those that you've spoken to in out there in the industry, do you think that companies are working with that in mind or do you think there's still a bit of a gap there in terms of who's involved in the conversation? I think there is a growing understanding that, that this is that this should be uh, the case. Um, I think also in the sense that you need a tender lead to really coordinate this. You need somebody who takes ownership of that fully and, and coordinates it. Uh, I think, yes, in terms of organization and teams, this understanding is is there, I would say, in most of the companies, yes. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's exciting to hear and it's good. I, it's It's nice that companies are starting to grasp not just in this area we see it across the board this idea of cross-functionality and working together pharma sometimes feels hobbled a bit by the um more traditional uh dialogue or narrative of separating commercial and non-commercial which has been painful to watch sometimes as an ex- exterior to the industry when you see you have so much insight that this team could benefit from and vice versa um i this what you've spoken about i think the meeting of value from a patient perspective and value from a financial perspective or fiscal perspective, the pairing of those two is really the ideal way to start to bring that knowledge together. Um, which really brings us back to sustainability for healthcare systems and that idea of kind of, um, then we've talked so much about what happens in-house. What does this look like as, what do you see the changes that we're gonna to start to notice with these new approaches, with these advancements that companies are making, what will that mean for healthcare systems for patients? In terms of trends, you mean outside trends when it comes to to tendering? Yeah, the sustainability of healthcare systems specifically. What's the potential here? Uh, I mean, the potential is 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 big, right? I mean, if you look also at things like like biosimilars uh, that could do a lot for the sustainability of healthcare. Uh, but then again, if it's if it if it's price only tenders, then fewer companies will invest in that in that area. Uh, if you look at trends, we see a trend towards more sustainable criteria. Also, even these, there's a lot of discussion about environmental sustainable uh, criteria, and we indeed see markets where this is is starting to play a role, right? Where where, where this is becoming part of the deal. It's rather black or white. I mean, if you're in a country that does it, it's 
then then yes, but other countries really don't care at all. I mean, that's maybe one one thing that's interesting is it's really the country that drives the award criteria and the sustainability. It's not so much portfolio driven. So if you're in a country that is not too much interested in the topic, it doesn't matter if you have an oncology product or a biosimilar or a 50 year old generic. Uh, it's basically often the country and the customer that's driving it and not the not the portfolio. Um, another trend that we see is uh, is even cross national tenders, cross country uh, tenders that countries starting to buy together. Um, again, this uh, this will increase the buying power, the negotiation power um, will not make the lives of the of the pharma companies easier. But that's definitely a trend um, yeah. that we see. Yes. And is there any geographical trends that you've observed with this or maybe differences yes. between maybe developed healthcare systems versus those are, that are developing? Yes, that, that's a good question. The, the, the answer is definitely yes. Um, so if you look at the, uh, the quality of how tenders are set up, not just the award criteria, but also other things like how far in advance are they published? How many bidders do you have? There's a set of KPIs of how you can check how good a tendering system is. So if you look at the northwest of Europe, uh, countries are quite advanced. If you look at the southeast, they're a bit less advanced and experienced when it comes to tendering. This really also became becomes very uh, apparent when you look at the price versus meat tenders. So if you would have a, a map of Europe and you would color code it, then really the, the Northwest would be much more meat tenders and the Southeast would be much more uh, price tendered. Yes. Yes, definitely there are geographical trends. And are companies' strategies acknowledging these differences, or these trends that are being seen? That's a good question. Um, I wouldn't know how to generally answer that. I mean, I don't have any data on that. Some are de some definitely do. Those that have the data and the experience, they do. I think a lot of companies are not fully aware um, of these of these trends yet. Yeah. And then, um, especially, I know it's such a buzzword in pharma these days, but talking about digital, um, and I have reams of thoughts on the word digital and its connotations separately. Um, but the idea of digital solutions, digital health, and how that folds into this space as well, is there that relationship? Is that a thing there? Yes, I mean, definitely. We, we are working also, we are working with a, with a big Swiss pharma and medtech company, uh, and they want to invest and venture more into digital health solutions, as most of the pharma and medtech companies want, right? All of them want to get into that field. But the, the challenge is, uh, there are two challenges. I mean, it's a very broad space, digital health, as you said yourself, right? And if you search for digital health tenders, you're getting millions of tenders and probably 1% is relevant to you. So the question is, how do you reduce all the noise and focus in the ones that are really relevant uh, to you? The other challenge is often these companies, they're not so sure themselves where in this digital health they actually want to play because the opportunities are endless, the options are endless, but where are you really going to play? And we, then we're coming back to this topic of a continuous market research. I mean, what we can do is we can see which digital health tenders are published. What are they looking for? Where do we see the biggest budgets 
for which tenders in which countries, who are the players, who are the winners. So we can also help companies in terms of BD. Where should we invest depending on where the market is going? And especially in digital health, because it's such a broad and, and also dynamic field uh, where a continuous market research could be the better option than just asking people once in a year, right? Yeah. Yeah, precisely. A more intelligent and flexible approach to, and especially I think we're seeing so much more in the way of multi-indication launches of these big pipelines. I mean, I could count on, I'd need more than two hands to count the number of pharma companies that have had a growth strategy of 25 by 25 or 26 in so-and-so. And the, we are seeing these huge, huge pipelines of indications, niche cancers, niche infectious diseases, and so anything that can do it more intelligently, that can reduce the bottom line, um, then becomes so valuable in that space. When we talk about purchasing and procurement and what that looks like now versus how that might change going forward, what do you think are going to be the big trends in priorities and uh, strategy for procurement departments in pharma? I mean, for procurement departments in pharma, I couldn't tell, right? Because it would be the the procurement departments in hospitals and and uh, insurance companies, etc. Right? It, uh, I think it's some of them uh, that I mentioned. I think it's going to go towards a more balanced uh, award criteria, uh, being a bit more open. But it it really depends country by country. I have to say, I don't see an overall trend. Some countries are adopting it, others are not. We see a trend towards cross-country buying, um, but also not, not just on the public side, but also on the private side, that you have private hospital groups, multinational hospital groups that are starting to buy across uh, different countries as well. So this is this is something we see. But And then the other thing, but this happened a couple of years ago, I mean, I would say most of the tenders are now published electronically it's very rare that somewhere you still have to go to the hospital and it's it's written on the board there and somebody has to, maybe in some countries that's the case, but mostly everything is now, of course, electronic and digital. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting as a, um, a tr- changing trend and just that evolution there. Um, to close us out, in terms of the people listening and the people that we work with, as well as the ones, that, um, all of those companies that you've, worked with and spoken about this in the past to anyone who's looking to understand more about this space who's looking for direction on what they should be doing next or what they're not doing enough of right now what would you say is the big kind of lesson that people still need to get their head around or um the big barrier towards um embracing the space for those in the uh the three categories that you mentioned what's the difference between the 80 percent and the 10 in the strategic line yes um for me, it all starts with uh, tender visibility and planning, right? I mean, if you don't see the relevant tenders and you don't have enough time to plan and manage for them, then there's not too much that you can do. So this is where I would start uh, and where we have started also back in the days to really get an overview what is out there that is relevant, relevant for us, what's the addressable market, and then trying to find a way to increase your preparation time because then you can do all the stuff that has a PL impact, right? You can improve price, supply, you can increase your value proposition, you can reduce cost of goods. You can do all that stuff, but that all that needs time. So it's it starts with visibility and planning. This is where it all starts, and then you can build upon that. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you both for your time today. Really appreciated it and really appreciated the chance to learn more about this topic, to talk about it and hear kind of how it affects far more than previously I'd thought about. Um, Hope you've enjoyed it as well, both of you. Thanks a lot. Very much. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Nico. It's been really great to to know more about tendering, um, especially in the context of a farmer. Thank you. I enjoyed the discussion. Thanks a lot. Thank you.